What's happening, Charlotte One? How you guys doing tonight? <laughs> That's pretty pathetic considering where we just were at. You guys, it is so good to have my friend Carlos here, to be with you guys in Charlotte tonight, to get a small glimpse of heaven on earth, what that looks like and what it sounds like here in this city. And it is so good to be with you guys tonight as we kick off this fall season. My name is Jarrett Stevens, and I'm a longtime friend and longtime fan of Charlotte One. And I've been pleased to be friends with David and the leadership team here and to be with you guys for the last couple of years. And as we were praying for you guys beforehand, I, mean, I was just telling David, like, man, this really feels like Charlotte One is now positioned to really, really be a light to this city and to really extend God's way here in this city of Charlotte. And so I am humbled to be a part of that with you guys here tonight. It's been a little bit since I've been with you guys, a couple months. And in that time, since I was with you guys earlier this spring, for those of you who are here, uh, my wife Jeannie and I and our kids, Gigi and Elijah, we've actually moved from Atlanta, where we were living, up to Chicago to start a church called Soul City Church. And we are living in like this intense adventure of following and trusting God. And I've never, ever, ever, ever lived like this before because we are up to our eyeballs in it. And we're living in the city and we're in the heart of the city. In fact, we live in the hood. My wife and I live in the hood. And when I say hood, I mean hoodie hood. Like that's where we live. And like, you know you're in the hood, right? When you go out and like you say hi to the drug dealer, Yavo, who lives across the alley taking out your trash in the morning. When he calls you chief, then you know you're doing all right, right? And when our garage door got tagged a month after we moved in, the Maniac Latin Disciples are the gang that run our neighborhood, and they tagged our garage. My wife's like, so are we in now? Like, what is that? I don't know. Is that, I guess we're good. You know, what does that mean? And so I mean, we, we are living in it, and we are starting a church in the heart of Chicago. And I just want to tell you a snapshot, because some of you guys have asked, wanted to know, and I'll just tell you real quick, and then we're going to open up God's Word together. Because I think everyone needs to be a part of a faith adventure like this. And I don't know what you've done or where you've been in your life or where you're at with God. But I'm telling you, starting this church and, and opening doors for people to come and experience the love of God is the adventure of a lifetime. And so we have been praying for over nine months now for a space. Chicago ain't cheap, okay? And so we've been praying for a space where our church could start. And we had a specific neighborhood in mind. In fact, we met a friend who owned an entire city block in that neighborhood. He bought warehouses that covered that whole city block. So for nine months, we've been praying specifically for that space. And we would put offers in on him. Now, he wanted $14 a square foot for it. And so we're a young church. We haven't even started yet. So we made an offer. We made a formal offer, kind of put it through the attorneys of 50 cents a square foot. <laughs> you know, that's how we roll. Like, no, we want to give you a deal, 50 cents. And so it didn't, didn't, didn't go over so well. And so about three months ago, we were meeting with him. We were walking through the space again, and we had lunch with him. And in the middle of our lunch, he starts talking about, he starts using the word we. He's like, you know, what if we really could do this in this neighborhood? We're like, yeah, what if we could? What does we mean? And so he goes home from that lunch and just feels so prompt and compelled by God. He calls all his business partners, comes back to us the next day and says, look, you guys, we want to give you 22,000 square feet right in the heart of Chicago to start your church. So it's pretty amazing. And in fact, we have been, yeah, it's amazing. We have been up to our eyeballs in renovation. This is a bathroom we found in the building. It was a closet, and we were all worried because we didn't have enough bathroom space. And this is like how we're praying. We're like, Lord, we can't afford a bathroom. Like, that's where we're at. And we pulled the carpet out and the shelves out of a closet, and we found a bathroom, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's amazing what you find. It's amazing. I'm sure we'll find bodies in there at some point. It's, it is Chicago. 
And this is what we're doing it for. We have been meeting in this space under renovation, under construction, worshiping and praising God just with our leaders and those who are starting. And every time we've opened our doors, neighbors have stumbled into our space every single time. The crazy thing is, within our block, we're at Adams and Racine. We're in what's called the West Loop. Uh, for point of reference, we're three blocks south of Oprah, her studio. So we're really hoping to become one of her favorite things. Um, <laughs> just a touch from Oprah. Um, and so we, within our one-mile radius of a corner where our church is going to be meeting, 164,000 people live in a one-mile radius of our corner. And of them, only 13% say that they have any affiliation whatsoever to a church. So we have our work cut out for us. And several of you have asked about it and given an update, and that's what's going on. We would love for you to pray for us. We are working hard to get doors open in the next 50 days. November 7th, we're opening doors, and a brand new church is going to open its doors and invite people into relationship with Jesus Christ in the city of Chicago. And we would love to have you be a part of the story behind our start. So please pray for us. And some of you care a lot about Chicago. You either live there, or you have friends that live there, or you have a crooked politician that you know that lives there. We have several of those. And so find me afterwards. Let's, let's talk. Let's pray. Maybe you can be a part of supporting what God's doing because we are nuts about what God's doing. I'm so grateful to be a part of this adventure with him. And I love Chicago, and I, I, it's my city. And so as I'm driving around and getting used to the city, it's funny. I'm still getting lost, and I like to think of myself as a pro. And I'm still getting lost. The other night, a friend of ours asked us to go sailing with him out on Lake Michigan. Beautiful sunset sail. A couple of our leaders are going to go out. I got lost getting to the lake. And it's not hard if you've been to Chicago. You just head to where the buildings stop and the water starts. And I still get lost and get so frustrated. You know how that feeling is when you get lost and you just feel so frustrated, especially when you know where you're supposed to be and you can't get there. You ever had that feeling? Like, you know where you're supposed to be and you're trying to get the GPS to help you and it is working against you. It is not helping you. And Google is from the enemy himself sending you sideways from where you need to go. And you know this, right? And so you know that feeling. It's even more like frustrating when you're lost and you don't know even where you're supposed to go. Have you ever had that experience? Like you don't even know really where you're supposed to get to and you certainly don't know where you are. And that, that can be a very, very, very frustrating and defeating and overwhelming feeling. And I remember when I was a little kid, I got lost once and it was a very, very like frightful and, you know, pretty powerful moment in my life. It happened when I was 10 years old and I was at Chuck E. Cheese. And um, now... I know what you're thinking. Strip mall Chuck E. Cheese, how can you get possibly lost there? Like maybe you get lost in the balls area, would you get lost over by ski ball? When I was a kid, Chuck E. Cheese meant something, okay? It was, it was like Mecca. It was like pizza and video games that you pay for. Like it was a big deal and it was a big one. And our town was the very first Chuck E. Cheese. And so I was there once with my best friend and my dad and, and we were playing around and I, I, somewhere by asteroids, I got separated from them, and I couldn't find them. And so I was kind of walking around trying to find them. My best friend and my dad were somewhere, but I wasn't there, and I couldn't get to them. I didn't know where they were. But I was kind of playing it cool, right? Because I'm 10 years old. I'm like, it's not a big deal. I've got enough tokens here. I've got enough tickets here for a spider ring. I should be cool. And like, I'm trying to like play it off like it's no big deal. Spider ring, anyone? Okay. So I'm trying to play it off like it's no big deal. But then I start, you know, a couple minutes go by, and I'm getting a little panicked, right? I'm like, whoa, what if they left? <laughs> that wouldn't be good. I can't drive, you know, and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what is a 10-year-old to do? And now it's been 10 minutes, and I can't find them, and I'm, like, doing fast walking around trying to find them, and I'm like, I'm starting to panic, and now I'm starting to imagine what my life's going to be like having to grow up in a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> like, can one really live off of that greasy pizza for your whole life? And how do you sleep when the giant hands and the mouse is walking around? Like, that's not, 
that's some freaky stuff right there. And so I, I go to the, the counter and I'm like, I'm lost. And I'm totally a basket case at this point. I'm like, can you please call my dad? And so they're like, yeah, we'll get on the microphone because apparently this happens a lot at Chuck E. Cheese. And so they're like, yeah, we'll get on the microphone. We'll, we'll call. What's your dad's name? I'm like, uh, <laughs> dad? <laughs> like, I, don't, I hadn't really thought this part through. You know, I just call him dad, you know? And so I finally figured out, yeah, he goes by, what's the name my mom yells? All, okay, Steve, yeah. And so, um, and so, so I, I, they call my dad. And like, he just comes stumbling over with my best friend, like, no big deal. Like, hey, where you been, pal? And I was like, do you have any idea? <laughs> like, I'm a, I'm a complete basket case in Chuck E. Cheese, you know, just a wreck. And, you know, we just, they just, no big deal. We just go on about our day. But you know that that feels like to feel lost and you cannot find your way. It can be an overwhelming feeling, can't it? It can be an overwhelming feeling because you cannot find your way home. And it may not be like a geographical thing or like getting lost in Chuck E. Cheese, but I bet, I bet there's a ton of us in here tonight who just feel lost in our careers or feel lost because we don't have a career. And we look around at everyone else and you're like, okay, so it seems like everyone else has got this one figured out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And maybe you spent or wasted years and years trying to figure it out and you feel lost at work. You feel lost in the shuffle of that movement of everyone around you. You feel lost. I'll bet there's plenty of us in here who feel lost in the whole relationship thing, right? Maybe you're in a relationship and there's like, there is no rudder on that boat. You're, you have, this relationship is just going all over the place and you can feel lost or you haven't been in a relationship for a long ever and it can feel, <laughs> right? You know, that's how it feels, right? And, I, and you, there's only so many more weddings you can go to of friends, you know? Because you feel lost. You feel lost. Why is this working for everyone else? Why is this working for everyone else and not for me? You can feel lost, and I know many of you in this room here tonight are lost in pain. And there's things that you've done or things that have been done to you that are so overwhelming, you cannot see your way out. And it can be overpowering. In fact, it can even define you and the choices you make because you were so lost in that pain or you were so lost in that addiction and you have learned to live lost for way too long. You've learned to manage, to cope, to wander, to stumble. And this is not what you were created for. You were not created to live lost. You were created to be home, to be found, to be free. And Jesus himself speaks right into that reality that every one of us in this room feels. Every one of us at some level feels just lost, out of control, unsure, uncertain. We don't know how to get to where we're supposed to be. And Jesus comes and speaks right into that. We see it in the Word of God. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 15 because Jesus spends this amazing moment talking about what it's not only like to be lost, but what it's like to be found. And so if you have a Bible, you can open that Bible up. If you don't, guess what? We've got one right in front of you. There's one right in your pew there. You can pull your Bible out. In fact, we're going to make it easy for you. You can open to page, I think it's 74 in the New Testament. If I get that right, then that works out great. But it's Luke chapter 15. Let's open up God's Word together because we're in a, a moment here with Jesus where he's in the middle of his public ministry. He's right in the middle. 
So he's already called his disciples. He's already performed miracles. He's already done teaching. And now he is explaining what life is like in the new kingdom, God's kingdom here on earth, what this new way is in relationship with him. And what's amazing in Jesus' teaching is that he's not only teaching us about the heart of God and who we are in light of that, but every ounce of his teaching is underscored by what he is about to do, which is to go to a cross to pay a debt that we could not pay for ourselves and be raised by God from the dead so that we actually can have life. So everything that he's teaching is underscored with what is to come, him going to the cross on our behalf. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story, a couple stories, a series of stories. In fact, in my Bible, it says the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. So he's going to talk about what it means to be lost to us tonight. And we're going to look specifically at the parable of the lost son, or maybe your Bible says the parable of the prodigal son. This is Luke 15. And I'm going to read this story to you out of God's Word, and then we're going to stop and talk about what it means for us and how we find ourselves, just like the son in this story, lost. But we're also going to talk about what it means to find a God who has been actively pursuing you, who has been on the hunt for you, and who longs for you to find yourself in him. John 15, I'm sorry, Luke 15, verse 11 Jesus is continuing these stories about what it means to be lost and the lengths at which God will go to find us. And he says, there was a man who had two sons. And we're going to look at just the younger son tonight. The younger son said to his father, father, he probably wasn't British, but it seems right. It seems right, right? In all the Jesus movies, someone's mildly British. He says, father, give me a share of the inheritance. Give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two sons, okay? So the younger son, how many of you are babies of the family? Raise your hand. Power to us. Me too, right? How many of you are older brothers or sisters? Boo on you, right? (laughs) You're the rule keepers. You play by the rules. Us babies, we just make it happen. (laughs) The world loves us, or so we think. And so the baby of the family, the young son, comes to his dad and says, give me half of what's mine. Now, that's not usually how inheritances work. You don't get your inheritance until what happens? Someone dies. And so basically, this is an incredible insult that the young son is saying to the father. Give me what you're going to give me when you die now. And the father does. Luke 15, verse 13. Not long after receiving that inheritance, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. He went as far as he could from his father. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now that's Bible way of saying it was like a Jay-Z video. Okay? It was like, I, you have to imagine, like, this guy has all his money, and they're just like, they're just popping champagne, right? And he's got a fur coat on, like a donkey's got spinners for some reason, <laughs> right? Like, everything's in slow motion and black and white. And so this guy, is, he is living it up, right? That's what the Bible, that's the picture is painting, I think. That's the Bible is telling us. That he had a wild, raucous time. All of it bankrolled by his father's estate. All of what was to come for him when his father died, he was now cashing out party after party after party. You won't be surprised to hear what happens in verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. He began to be in need. Maybe even for the first time in his life, he realized just 
how needy he was. When everything else was pulled out from underneath him, when everything was spent, he realized that he was in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. It's another way of saying he became a slave. He became a slave, a day laborer feeding pigs, which in Jesus' culture was about as low a position that you could have. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So months before, his father gave him everything, and now he is in the slop with the pigs, the lowest position you could possibly have, and he wants to eat the trash that they won't eat, and still no one will give it to him. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, took him a minute, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's, fi- how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. You have to imagine the humility that he feels. He's not only in the lowest position, one of the lowest jobs you can have in society, he's now realizing that he has to go back and face the father whom he's hurt, who he's basically stolen from. And he puts his plan together. He goes, you know what? It's probably not going to get any worse than this, but it probably won't get that much better. And so what I'll do is I'll go back. And you can see him kind of rehearsing the speech in his mind, talking to the pigs, working it out. I'll go back. I'll tell him I've sinned against him. I've sinned against heaven. And if he would just make me a servant, just, just a servant on his grounds, then, then, maybe, then, I'll be okay. And this is what's fascinating. Verse 20 says, he got up, he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. He saw him from a distance. This son had gone to a far and distant land, had hit the lowest of the low. And as he is stumbling back, stench-ridden, back to his father, memorizing, practicing, going over his speech again, again, and again in his head, his father sees him while he is way off. And I don't think this is by accident that the father just happened to be walking by and saw this mess of a man walking towards him. I believe that that father was out every day since his son left watching and waiting and longing for his son to come home. And when he sees him, when he sees him, he runs to him, filled with compassion, throws his arm around him, gives him a big kiss, Verse 21, so the son doesn't know what to do, right? Because he wasn't ready for this. He and the pigs had to work this part out. 
And so he says through his speech, he goes, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to have a barbecue tonight. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so, the Bible says, they began to celebrate. This is an amazing, amazing story, not only about me, not only about you, but about a father who is watching and waiting and longing, full of compassion, waiting for you to turn around and come home. And everything in us is just like the son, the lost one in this story. Because we believe after all that we've done and as far as we've run, that there's no way that God will fully let us back in. And sure, he's kind of obligated to because he's God and it's kind of written that way. So he has to sort of let me back in. But I'm not going to come in as I used to be. I'm not going to be even what I believe that God has created me to be. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to come in at the lowest status. God is going to punish me and make me pay for what I've done. There will be penance involved. We imagine God not as a father full of compassion, but as a cop who is waiting to bust us as soon as he sees us for all the wrongs that we've done that would take a lifetime for us to pay off. Or, worse yet, we see God as some ambiguous cloud who just doesn't even care. Who just doesn't care and has left us on our own to figure it out and to stumble and fumble through this life lost. But that's not the picture Jesus paints. He hits us dead on, and he hits the heart of God dead on. We are ones who are lost, stumbling and fumbling our way through this life, knowing that it's not supposed to be like this, knowing that we're not supposed to be here, but not knowing how to get home. And we have a God who is a father who loves us, who loves you, who is full of compassion, and that no matter what you've done or how far you've run, he is waiting with his arms open wide for you to turn around and come home. And the second that you and I do that and take that step towards him, we find a God who unashamedly runs to us. Imagine this old man running as fast as he can into the arms, sweeping up his son and kissing his filth-ridden son, the son who had so shamed him and would become such a disgrace to him. He embraces him and says, you are forgiven. You are home. You are my son. You were dead, and now you are alive. You were lost, and now you are found. Let's celebrate. This is the message of God. And I know that for many of you here at Charlotte One, you've heard this before. You know this story. You know how it plays out. But there are still parts of you that are running from God. Running from God full tilt. Yeah, you make it here. You make it maybe to church on Sunday. Maybe you make it out to a small group. You partner with Charlotte One when we serve on Saturdays, like we're going to do this Saturday. You're there. You show up. But in your heart, there are parts of you that are still running from God. And he's calling to you tonight. No, come home. 
come home. You're my son. You're my daughter. All can be forgiven. Come home. And for some of you, maybe you've never heard this story before, and you never thought this was even possible, because you know all that you've done, and you know what a mess you've made of your life, and you know how complicated and twisted and tangled it is, and you don't believe that it's even possible for someone like you to be caught up in the arms of a God who loves you. But this story that Jesus tells is your story too, and it's my story. And amazingly, it's less and less about us and more and more about a God who forgives, who embraces, who makes new, who makes whole. And even with all that we've done, even with all that we've done to him, this is who God is. And I'm telling you, it takes a lot for me to understand that and to accept that. But I'm finding myself learning to live more and more in that love and forgiveness and freedom and to live from home. This past week, it got put to the test for our family. I mentioned that we live in the, the hood, like the hoodie hood. And we've just done everything we can to love our neighbors and to be good in the neighborhood. We want to be good in the hood, right? That's what we're trying to do. And we've been there for about seven, eight months now. And this weekend, I mentioned we went out to go sailing with a friend of ours. And so we had our kids, and we packed up, and we went out to the boat. And about an hour or so, as best we can hear from after we left, uh, some guys from the neighborhood broke into our house, uh, kicked down our gate, opened up our windows, came in, stole our TV, stole our laptops, you know, and we're gone in probably five minutes. Thankfully, they closed the door behind them because our dog was still in the house when we got home. So conscientious thieves. But, and so we came home from a great night with friends and out on Lake Michigan and our kids are asleep and I walk in and I see kind of all our speakers thrown out like across the family. I'm like, how did the dog get up there? Like I'm trying to figure out what happened. And then I walk in and realize there's this like hole where our TV used to be and just all these cables hanging everywhere. And then I look real quick to where we had our laptops. I'm like, okay, oh, this is what happened. All right. So here we are, God. This is it. This is what it means. All right, good. And so after the police came and, and filed the reports and tried to find fingerprints and all that kind of stuff, our kids had gone to bed. Everything was quiet. My wife and I were sitting in the house, and there was part of me that was just brewing that was just so angry, you know? Understandably so, right? Just angry. And just realized, man, our house had been violated. Like, they just came in. Thankfully, they closed the door. But they were in our house. They saw our picture of our family. They were right here. And I don't know where it came from other than from a heart that lives at home in God. I cannot tell you that this came from myself. I cannot tell you that this came from my own inner strength. I can only tell you that this comes from a heart that's learning to live at home with God. My wife, Jean, and I were so compelled to get down on our hands and knees right where they walked through our house and to just lay our faces down where their feet were and to pray for them and to forgive them and to understand now what a verse means when it says, it's better to love your enemies. We know what that means now, because like they've got our stuff. And we were on our knees, crying out to God, begging that he would give us the strength to forgive them like he's forgiven us. 
And we found ourselves even praying that somehow in our laptops they would come across some message we'd given and that somehow through this horrible thing they might actually find God, be broken, and come home themselves. And I can't, I can't do that on my own. That's not naturally in me. But when I am at home with God and I realize how much I have been forgiven, how quickly the Father has run to me when I have turned my heart towards Him, then, 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 I have the ability to love like He loves me. I have the ability to forgive like He has forgiven me. I am not lost in this world anymore. And it doesn't mean that things are easy, right? Like our stuff got stolen. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't give me a ticket out of all that stuff, but it gives me now a way through because it's in relationship with God because my heart is at home in Him. And I'm not lost. I'm not lost in this world. And our hope and our heart for you tonight is just that, that you would come home, that you don't have to live lost anymore. That God can't not magically make all of that go away, but he will walk through it with you as only a perfect father can. And our heart for you tonight is that you would experience that kind of forgiveness. That you would experience that kind of freedom. That you would be overwhelmed by that kind of love of a God who would say to you, I know what you've done. I know how far you've run. I know the damage you've caused. I know what's been done to you and what you've done to others. And yet I am in pursuit of you. And this kind of life and this kind of love and this kind of freedom is possible. It's actual when you turn around and come home. When you stop and turn your heart to God and find a God that has been pursuing you all your life. All of you. All of who you are. All of your life. And there's no greater message that I can share with you tonight than that. I'd love to tell you all about our church and the awesome things we're doing. I'd love to tell you about all the times our home isn't getting broken into in Chicago. I'd love to tell you all that stuff, but there's nothing better for me to tell you than you can come home tonight. You can come home tonight. For some of you, you can come back home tonight. You've been working on the sin management plan for far too long, and God in his loving kindness is allowing you to fail miserably at it. Because what you need isn't more sin management. It's forgiveness. It's freedom. You just need to come home and say, as this lost one did, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. And hear him say, you are forgiven. You are free. You are home. Some of you need to come back home tonight. And for some of you tonight, you came here, this is your first time at Charlotte One, but you know this is true because you know what it's like to feel that lost and alone. And you need to hear that truth, that there is a God, the God who created the universe, the God who set this world in motion, the God who ultimately created you, loves you. 
Or as a friend of mine says, he actually likes you. He likes you and delights in you because you are his son and you are his daughter and he longs for you to come home. And all it takes tonight is for you to stop running and to turn around and find a God who is running towards you. So I want you to take a second and think about what that means, that invitation that God has made available to you. And we just want to take an opportunity for those of us in this room who need to say, I have been running, I have been lost, I want to come home. To do that tonight, to pray that tonight, to say those words tonight. The amazing thing is the only way this is possible is because of who Jesus is and what he's done. He has made the way for you to come home. And so I want to pray for you. I want to give you some space to even say those words to God, to come back, to fall at his feet and say, God, Father God, I am home. I want to live where you are and live the life that you've created for me. So let's take a second right now. I want you just to be quiet, to be still, to think about your life, to consider what it looks like for you to live the rest of your life lost. Is this what God really created you for, is to fumble and stumble and run? Or could it be that God has created you for home, home in Him, in relationship with Him? And in the best words that you can muster tonight, what would it look like for you to turn around and find yourself swept up in God's arms and feel His compassion for you overwhelm you and say, Father, I have sinned, I have run, I have made a mess. Forgive me. Take me home. To be with you, to live with you here on this earth in my life. Say those words to Him right now. Find the courage to stop, to turn around, to no longer live lost. God, we thank you that we can come home. Not because of who we are, because we know who we are, and we know what we've done, but because of you, Jesus, you have made a way for us to come home to be with our Father, to live there fully free and alive and forgiven, complete. God, we don't want anything less, and we know that you want nothing less for us in this world than to be fully at home and alive in you. God, I pray tonight that that would happen for the first time for some in this room tonight, God, that they would feel your love and forgiveness for them. And that we would feel that fresh for those of us who are in relationship with you tonight, God. That we would bring all the lost and broken parts of our life to you. And allow you to do what only you can do. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we can come home to you.